And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Did your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offence to them, go to the lake and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Can you do the impossible? Can you do the impossible? Now aside from the fact that if you could do it it wouldn't be impossible, uh, just entertain me for a minute um, with, with what is impossible. Yeah? Has anyone seen a film called Limitless? No, okay. Full start. Uh, Limitless is a film about a guy who can take a pill and he can, that pill enables him to do anything. He is literally limitless. Uh, it's a pretty rubbish film, actually, to be honest, but uh, the, uh, the concept is there. Um, and he can memorise, like, a whole book uh, in the time it takes to download a, an attachment from your computer, if you've got a Mac, that is, okay? Um, LAUGHTER uh, and, and he can fly and he can do all these cool things. Basically, the, the bars are off. Everything uh, is possible. It gives us a good list, isn't it, of what we usually think of as impossible. Flying, you know, knowing everything, those kind of things. But we've just heard Jesus tell us about something that's impossible uh, for every single person. It's impossible for us. And that is unbelief, or believing in him. It's impossible for us to do that by ourselves. So we're looking at that, the impossibility of unbelief in verses 14 uh, to 17. We've just read, uh, the situation is that Jesus has just been up the mountain with James, Peter and John. And they got to see Jesus' true glory in his kingdom. But Jesus left that glory. He came down the mountain because he had work to do. He was headed for Jerusalem. He's been speaking about it already. They return at this point to find the nine other disciples who are disillusioned and feeling dejected. Having failed to cast out a demon. The very thing that Jesus had given them authority to do back in chapter 10. To add insult to their injury, 
Uh, All this is reported to Jesus, not by them, but by the boy's father. Your disciples could not help me. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son for his seizures. And he suffers terribly for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Jesus responds with his own assessment of the scene and the situation. And it's there in verse 17. Jesus answered this. He says, O faithless and twisted generation. So Jesus' assessment is slightly wider, isn't it, than just the people gathered there. This is for Jesus, uh, not just representative of the disciples, though who have more to say to them. It is representative of all people everywhere, and that includes you and me and everyone we know. O faithless and twisted generation. Notice that Jesus doesn't lament the suffering on this occasion. He doesn't even lament the demonic forces that made things worse. Um, He could blame that. No, he says, O faithless and twisted generation. So the impossibility of unbelief. The problem is unbelief. Jesus says that. Um, That's the faithless bit. Faithless. But he also says twisted, doesn't he? They go together, faithless and twisted. How do they go together? Well, we distort the truth about God that's plain to see in order not to believe. Okay? So it's a twisted kind of unbelief. We distort the plain truth about God in order not to believe. It's a twisted unbelief. And this is actually the problem with all people everywhere. It's what brought sin and death into the world in the first place. There is no lack of uh, testimony to God's goodness and generosity as creator. But thinking we know better than him, we reject his loving truth and we invent our own way of seeing the world around us to believe in. You can see the appeal of that because, at least for a time, if we are the only ones we answer to, we can do what we like. But... It, did, it does allow open season for evil in our hearts and in our minds. But we can't just keep it there because it breaks the surface in what we say and do. And so we experience the painful consequences of our lives, both now and, Jesus says, for eternity. So this is the problem that Jesus sees when he looks out on the situation. He says, a faithless and twisted generation. We don't disbelieve... No one ever disbelieves for lack of evidence. They might say that they do. But no one believes for lack of evidence, but in spite of it. Because God has created the whole world. And it's there to see. Didn't come about by chance. And it testifies to his power and his glory. We we say, don't we, we can't believe because there's not enough evidence. But actually, really, we've said already, I will not believe. So it's a twisted unbelief. And though that may not trouble us, it does trouble Jesus. He says this, and we can almost, we can hear, can't we, his, his uh, anguish. He says, a faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Jesus has every human emotion. 
Like us, he is deeply moved by what he sees, but unlike us, he's always moved by the right things and in the right way. No doubt Jesus himself longs to be with his heavenly father. Maybe that's part of his anguish. And here, he's moved by our greatest need. He's moved. We can see that. How long? Uh, Jesus not only sees our deepest need and the effect on everyone, but he knows what it will take in order to bring lasting healing. He knows what it's going to take. Now, we've already heard, haven't we, that he said to the disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. Our condition weighs more heavily on Jesus, of all people, because he alone knows the full lengths it will take in order for us to believe. So in verses 22 and 23, when he gathers all the disciples to tell them, what does he say? What does he speak about? He says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. The only difference here is that Jesus is including the details of his betrayal. That he is going to be handed over, delivered over, um, uh, into the hands of men. So Jesus, of all people, knows the lengths it's going to take uh, to fix it. So it is impossible for, for them. It's impossible for us. Unbelief. Not being able to see from the evidences before us, not being able to see in the person of Jesus that he is God, that is something we all, will, all have and we can't do anything about ourselves. But do you notice that Jesus can do the impossible? That's pretty evident, isn't it? So if you look at verse uh, 18, is it? Yeah, 18. Everyone else is scrabbling around trying to work out what to do. And in one verse, uh, Matthew tells us, Jesus rebuked him, demon came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly or within an hour. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? He rebuked him, just spoke, the demon came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. If you want to see more impossible things, what about his resurrection in verse 23? He's going to be raised from the dead. And what about this fish at the end there? It's pretty impossible, isn't it, that he would know exactly the fish that Peter was going to go to and to be able to pull out that fish and to find that coin. It's impossible for us, certainly. It's not impossible for God. He knows all things. He's sovereign. And so he can do it. Well, after doing that, fixing, well, helping the boy, compassionately loving that family and serving them uh, with, with, with the temporary healing that he needed, Jesus now turns to his disciples and teaches them. And that's our second point. Um, Jesus can do the impossible uh, on our sheets. And that's in verses 18 to 23. Let's read from there. Jesus rebuked him and the demon came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, 
You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So how does Jesus respond to unbelief in those that follow him? Because we all struggle, don't we, to trust him, to follow him. And we, we, we do that all the time. So how is Jesus going to respond to, unbelievers, uh, to, to believers who have doubt and unbelief? People who are following him. Well, just notice he teaches them, doesn't he? He teaches them. That's, you know, he doesn't do some kind of amazing uh, grand miracle or gesture or anything like that. He, he teaches them. He says this, Truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And then he teaches them about his death. He teaches them. So Jesus' response to our unbelief is to teach us. And those that have already been called by the Father will listen to his voice and they will hear and believe and understand. That's what Jesus has been doing the whole way through Matthew with the disciples. He's been teaching them. And those that the Father has called will listen to his voice. It's his word as the power to completely take away our unbelief, to help us to trust him completely. Um, we've come across these faith assessments by Jesus before in Matthew, um, but to hear them rightly, we have to switch off our teacher mode. Uh, by that I mean the urge to issue either a could-do-better, must-try-harder kind of sticker, or a pat on the back. I'm not saying that that's all there is to teaching, by the way, uh, Sam. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, but that's not what Jesus means by it. He's not issuing a scorecard. We hear it as a commendation. Well done, good, you know, well done. Or well done for your faith, almost. You have great faith. He's not saying that. It's actually a recognition. A recognition by him of what his father has done in opening their eyes. And characteristic of that seeing is their single-mindedness to come to Jesus in their helplessness. We see that here in the Father. He comes to Jesus in his helplessness. Lord, have mercy on my son. We've seen that before in the, in the Gentile woman in chapter 15. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. So if faith is seen in us in our helplessness coming to Jesus for help, it helps us to see what little faith, a lack of faith, might be. Not coming to Jesus in our helplessness. Actually going somewhere else in our helplessness. Thinking we can do something about it. It's not that the disciples didn't know Jesus. Peter has already said, you are the, son, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay? He knows who Jesus is. But on this occasion, the rest of the disciples didn't see their need of him. He was gone from view, but they could just get on with what he told them to do. Uh, Jesus had said that they would cast out demons, so 
well, let's just get up, happily get on with it. It's not wasting any time. And their question is quite telling, isn't it? They say to Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? And in other um, accounts of this story, same story, Jesus says um, that it will come out only by prayer. So the thing that they had failed to do is to pray. It showed that their faith was in themselves and not in him. And so Jesus teaches them. We all have that, don't we? We all, you know, in our time of helplessness think, you know, there's a ton of other things I'm going to try first. I'm not going to come to Jesus. We know who he is. But we don't go to him in prayer. Um, some people will tell you that to, to have an answer to prayer, you need an impressive amount of faith for your prayers to be answered. Have you heard people say that? So they say you need more faith because your prayers haven't been answered. Yeah? You've heard people say that again and again and again. I know you have. Um, well, that surely isn't the case here. What does Jesus say? Look at what a grain-sized faith can do. Okay? If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, look what a grain-sized faith can do. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Okay? So what we, what we thought faith you know, was all about our you know, efforts, it's not about the size of our faith or our efforts. It's not about the amount of faith that makes the difference. It must be the one the faith is in. It's not about the amount of faith that makes the difference. It must be the one that faith is in. Isn't it? Because Jesus is the one who can do the impossible. Jesus is the one who can do the impossible thing of uh, taking away our unbelief. Only he can do that. The irony is, if you think it's your great faith that makes it possible, then your faith is in yourself, not in him. If you think it's your great faith that makes the answer possible, that thing possible, your faith is in yourself. And so that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. Have faith in me. Come to me. I'm the one who can do it. You can't. You're helpless. You need me. Come to me. So Jesus can do the impossible. And the impossible, I think, that he's particularly thinking about here is the faithless and twisted generation. You know, when he looks out on the world, when he looks out on us, the big problem that he sees is not ultimately the hurt and the pain and the suffering that we're going through, though he feels compassion for that, is the fact that we have unbelief. We don't, we don't know him. And we need to trust him and know him for ourselves. So Jesus can help us with that. And that's what he says that the disciples will be able to do. If you have little faith, if you have a mustard seed grain of faith, you will say these things. So we'll get to that in a moment. Um, Let's look at this last little uh, section in verses 24 to 27. And if you had to pick an odd story from Matthew's Gospel, it probably would be it, I think. Um, An odd story. Uh, Let's read it in verse 24 to 27. 
When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the half-shekel tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offence to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. What on earth is that about? (laughs) Okay, what on earth is it about? Um, What is Jesus teaching them here? What is Jesus teaching Peter, Simon, here? Well, I asked you to think about this before you came uh, on the WhatsApp group. Uh, Matthew is actually gearing us up for the next block of Jesus' teaching in the next chapter on how God's people will live together, what they will think of each other and how they'll think on themselves in relation to each other. And, and, and that's what Jesus is helping Peter to do here. So someone comes up with a question uh, or a demand or something. Peter, uh, surely your teacher, Jesus, he, he gives this tax. And Peter just kind of says, yes, <laughs> because they've kind of implied that it's the right thing to do. So, uh, yeah, yes, you know, is the right answer. He says, yes. Um, so it carries on with life, probably thinks, you know, this is, this is fine. I'm going to go back to see Jesus. And Jesus wants him to reflect and to think more. And I think this is one of the things we're, we're not very good at. We don't reflect on what it means to be a child of God. We don't reflect on our true identity as sons and daughters of the King, of Jesus. And um, uh, Peter is in pragmatic mode, isn't he? He thinks, you know, this is just a, a formality, maybe. Or maybe he feels the pressure, the social pressure to just say yes. But, there, but Jesus wants him to think more on that. And he wants him to reflect. He wants him to reflect on what Jesus being the son of God means. And therefore what him being a son of God means. Um, to put it simply, Christians need to think about who they are in everything they do. Because there isn't an area of life, a thing that we get up to, and the reason behind that that, doesn't, that isn't fed by our identity or what we think our identity is. So, for example, um, I, you become a dad, you have a child um, as a bloke. You know, that does affect pretty much every area of your life, doesn't it? Kenny, Sam? You know, you do the shopping, but you don't just shop for food or what you would usually shop for. You throw in all of these other things that you need, um, like nappies and, you know, lots of other things which I won't mention, I guess. But, um, you know... It affects absolutely everything. What your identity is, is going to affect who you are and what you do. And so we need to think. And Peter needs to think. And Jesus helps him to think. He teaches him. He says this. He says, he gives him an example. And he says, what do you think, Peter, Simon? What do you think? He's encouraging him to think. 
And he says, from whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Two options. <laughs> it's 50-50, Simon. You're going to get this right. You know. Do they take it from their sons or from others? From others, okay? They don't take the tax from their own sons. And the tax that he was going to pay in the temple was for God's house. And he was going to pay it for God's son, Jesus. And he was going to pay it for himself. And yet he is God's son in Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants Peter to take time just to think. You know, you you could just do this and just go through and not think about this. But this is an opportunity, Peter. Think. Is this, a, is this, why are you doing this? Are you doing this to, uh, to impress other people? To keep up with them? To do what they think you should do? Are you doing this because you kind of think that they're right about what you need to do to be a good Christian? And therefore you're kind of going back to law again. You're saying, I, I need to do this Jewish thing in order to be right with God. Are you looking to that to get your approval from God? Are you actually looking to that to get your approval from God? Or have you got it already? Are you absolutely approved by God already in Jesus? Are you looking to that to get your approval from God uh, from other people? Is that what you're looking to it for? Jesus says you've got to think about these things. And we do too. And when people come and they, perhaps with their agenda or, you know, things that are socially pressure to do, you know, Christians, we can just say yes. Well, we do need to think. And Jesus says, don't just sort of think about nothing. Think about me and think about my identity and what it means to you as children of God. Um, so, where are we? Um, interestingly, what does, what does Jesus tell Peter to do? To pay the tax. So it's not about the blooming tax. You know, pay the tax. But Jesus says, gives him a good reason to pay the tax. He says, pay the tax so as not to give offence. That's what he says. Jesus is not worried about giving, giving offence. He's done that before in chapter 16 when there was religious teachers who wanted to say this was the way to heaven and they were actually sending people to hell. Jesus is not worried about offending those people on that grounds. But he, he does say that for those who know their identity and are sure about that, and that's not the reason why they're doing it, that they should not want to give unnecessary offence in the way that they live. And so they, they might choose to do something which they don't, they're not obliged to do, but they do it for the sake of others. We can have a think together on what those kind of things might be. But that's a scenario that's, that's coming up here. You, can, you don't have to do it, but you might do it because it will commend the gospel or commend Jesus. You're free. You're free to do it, and you're free not to do it. But you might do it because you want to commend Jesus to someone. And that's an important thing. Um, so he's, free. he's a free son. He doesn't have to pay. Um, so what does this all mean for us? Uh, well, perhaps you're not a Christian. Uh, it'd be good to see that the big issue 
that Jesus highlights here is not those, all those other things, but it is unbelief. And if you, by yourself, won't be able to see who Jesus is, you need him to show you. You're helpless. Why not come to him and ask him to do that? It's the first step of every single person here. They've just come to, come to Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy. I need your help. It's impossible for me, but it's possible for you. Uh, look at what Jesus says in um, chapter 19, uh, verse 26. Actually, let's read this section, 23 down to 26. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I will tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Who then can be saved? With God this is possible. With man it is impossible. But Jesus is God and he can do it. Come to him. Uh, if, you're a Christ, uh, sorry, if you're someone who would go to church and sort of um, still kind of be thinking this through and maybe not sure whether you're a Christian, I guess the thing is that if you, if you haven't understood your identity and Jesus hasn't revealed it to you um, and saved you, then you will still be operating as a slave, you know, as needing to do things out of duty. So coming to church will be a duty. You just have to do it. Meeting with other Christians will be a duty. It's something you have to do. Telling people the gospel, that's a duty. You just have to do it. Um, it's an obligation. And it won't be that you actually want to do it or delight to do it. And, you, and so that will be the sign, really, to you that you need, you need to come back to him and say, I think I've got faith kind of wrong. I think I've got following you wrong. Because I thought it was about what I did to get, gain your approval. And yet I can kind of see now that it's you giving me your approval because of Jesus I thought that it was about me gaining your approval God but I can see now that it's about you giving me your approval in Jesus free of, you know free you can't do it it's impossible and he's done it for you and he did it by dying on the cross for your sins and giving you his righteousness um, if you're a Christian which I guess is quite a few people here um, that means that, like Peter, you now have this identity, this brand new identity. You're a son and daughter of God. I'm a son of God. He is my father, and I'm as loved as Jesus. That makes all the difference, isn't it? I'm, you're not Sam the sinner, or Dorothy the diverer. Sorry, Dorothy. You're Sam the son and Dorothy the daughter. That is your identity. That's what he's done for you. Because of who he is and because of what he's done for you, that's who you are.
And so you're not consumed with the need for the approval of other people because you're free to love them. You already have God's approval. You're free to love people. You don't need to do it. Uh, But you're free to do for them what you would want them to do for you. And when it comes to those who don't yet know Jesus, what we'd want if we were them, surely, is for someone to tell us about Jesus. And I guess there'll be family members of the people sitting here for whom you just think that's impossible. Yeah? Maybe it's your own son. You're helpless. Because you you just see his unbelief and you think, that's impossible. Maybe that's you sitting here today. Jesus says, you come to him. Trust him. And he can do that. He can do the impossible. Unbelief is impossible, but Jesus can do the impossible. And he sends his people, the disciples here, us today, to an unbelieving world. It's a world full of suffering and fear, yes, But the bigger problem is that it just won't see who Jesus is unless he does something about it. And so we need to pray for him to do the impossible through us. That's why Jesus says, isn't it? All you, you will do, truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain... By the way, he's not talking about real mountains. It's an expression for something that's really hard. So don't get hung up on the, you know, oh, I'm going to go to a mountain next time I'm in the, in the peaks or the lakes or whatever. I'm going to say to this mountain, go! Don't get, don't get the wrong end of the stick. It's talking about some, it's an euphemism for something really hard. And the really impossible thing is for people to believe. And yet Jesus says, you will speak his words, you will say to this mountain, move, and it will be moved. The immovable unbelief is something that he can move and he'll do it through our words about him. Isn't that incredible? Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you uh, for your son Jesus. Thank you that in him uh, we see who you are. Um, Thank you that he... uh, delights to make you known that it's your uh, design that he would do that um, you would reveal him to us and uh, thank you for the delight of um, knowing that we are sons and daughters um, forever because of what he has done uh, we pray for those who haven't yet realised that yet and we pray that their unbelief would be something that you um, teach and and speak your word into, perhaps even from this talk tonight. Uh, would you keep doing that, we pray. In your mercy, would you save. And uh, for us as a church, we pray that we would be uh, have your concerns, the right concerns, as we look out on the world around us. And we so often see the other um, things that are wrong uh, that we think we can change. Please would you help us to see that we are powerless to change. Uh, people's unbelief please give us a a real trust and a burden to pray and to ask you to do the impossible and please would you do that through us it's amazing that you say here that we can speak your words and nothing will be impossible
Uh, We pray as we think this over together that you would uh, guide us and lead us. Amen.